1: Are you afraid of loneliness or failure, confrontation or facing the unknown? Psychologist Dr. Nancy Stella draws on decades of experience in clinical practice in her new book, Fear Traps, Escape the Triggers that Keep You Stuck, which presents her concept of the courageous brain process, a six-step science-based treatment plan to help people overcome fear. Fear Traps equips readers to heal trauma and take on new challenges with confidence and resilience. Dr. Stella shows us that fear is normal, but fear does not need to control you. If you're feeling trapped in a cycle of coping mechanisms that just keep making things worse, there is a way out. With over 30 years of experience as a clinical psychologist, Nancy Stella, PsyD, Ph.D., helps us get unstuck by teaching us how our brain processes fear. Using current neuroscience research, her courageous brain process, CBP, provides transformative, science-based practices to regain control over the emotions that once controlled us. Valeria Tellis interviews Dr. Nancy Stella, the author of Fear Traps, Escape the Triggers That Keep You Stuck. Dr. Nancy Stella has been a leading clinical psychologist in the Cincinnati area for over 20 years. As former president and owner, Dr. Stella expanded Bridgepoint Psychological and Counseling Center into one of Ohio's largest private, multi-specialty mental health practices with over 75 providers. After a shattering divorce, Dr. Stella found traditional therapeutic approaches wanting, so she developed the courageous brain process CBP, an innovative, science-based method of therapy, rooted in the most up-to-date neuroscience. It bypassed the shortcomings of traditional talk therapy to re-pattern the way our brains process fear. When the results proved to be undeniably effective, Dr. Stella left Bridgepoint in 2014 to open a counseling practice focused on the CBP. As a result, countless clients have been able to break free of self-destructive patterns triggered by unresolved fear. In addition, Dr. Stella provides training and consultation to other clinicians who want to include this method in their practices. Meet Dr. Nancy at nancystella.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Nancy Stella.
2: In your own words, who is Dr. Nancy Stella? Okay, first off, Valerie, I wanna say thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. Oh, that's, that's a tough question in the sense that I have to think about how to answer that. I am, professionally, I'm a clinical psychologist and I have been in practice for over 30 years. Personally, I am the mother of two adult daughters who I adore and three dogs. And I love to travel, uh, particularly in the States. I enjoy, you know, ma- particularly Maine, particularly in the fall, and uh, in the colder months when the ocean is wow. just brutal. It's beautiful. <laughs> That's
0: beautiful. <interesting>. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is an interesting. Um, yeah. So interesting when you say about the ocean, yeah, you like the the ocean when it's um, it's not calm. I love clear water and clear uh, kind of calm everything. <laughs> so it's interesting that you say quite the opposite. <laughs> I'm wondering why why Nancy.
2: Well, it's the power of nature. Yeah. And that and to me that is it's phenomenal. It's beautiful. I feel like it puts human beings in perspective. Where is our place in this universe? And that you know we're we're part of a whole. My second official question is
0: about fear, the idea that I have heard before, I have read and talked to some of my guests here, that fear is the opposite of love.
2: What do you think about that? I don't think of fear as the opposite of love. I look at fear as being a kind of primal, protective, Instinct. It's part of our, how our, our amygdala, our brain is formed. And I think there's healthy fear. Uh, the healthy fear would be if you're in danger, you want to get to safety. If you walked off a curb and a bus was coming at you, you'd want to certainly get the heck out of the mm-hmm. way. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's unhealthy fears. Right. Yeah. And I think the unhealthy fears, particularly as it relates to my book, have to do with relationships. And it, I would almost say it's the opposite of love, but it takes away from love because the focus gets put on our own issues, our own needs, and we forget about kind of the person we're interacting with. Mm, So true.
0: Oh, wow. So
2: fear is the absence of love. Would you say that? Yes, I would say, yes, it's the desire. Typically, it's the desire to be loved and accepted that when that can trigger our fear, if it hits on old wounds or past traumas that we have.
0: Mm. Wow, I can relate to that. Thinking about all the traumas I had and how they manifested in my life later on for so many years. That's interesting how I couldn't see that. And I wonder why it takes so long because it's, now it's obvious to me when my right. it's right. triggered. It's so obvious, but it hasn't been for so many years. What does it take for us to begin to recognize those triggers, Nancy? Well,
2: the recognizing our triggers is not necessarily an easy thing to do, because oftentimes when we're triggered, it's, it's bringing back old wounds. And so the way that I usually work with my clients and say, you're going to know if you're triggered by one, if your reaction's out of proportion to the event, so you feel yourself emotionally or behaviorally reacting kind of out of proportion. The other is your thinking changes; it may become all black and white. You know, there's there's no shades of gray. Um, there's a variety of different ways that we could be triggered, and I have a list actually on my website that clients or uh, um, your listeners can download. the The important thing is that when we're triggered. We're able to take a step back and begin the process of trying to understand what are we really reacting to here? You know, what are we acting out? So, you know, a, a fear trap. Is when we get stuck, when we are chronically fearful that something bad is going to happen based on something that has happened in our past. So, for example, I'll give you a personal uh, example and how I, how it kind of led me to this concept, is my husband of 22 years uh, one day asked, said he no longer loved me and wanted a divorce. And when I heard those words, it just put me into a tailspin. I felt like I was like on a free fall of fear. I was, and still am, a competent and I was self-sufficient and successful. But I started to become kind of needy, clingy, crying, You know, asking him to come back. And I knew those behaviors would not win him back. And what I realized is I was reliving a past trauma. Um, My father had died shortly before I was five. And when he died, uh, our family just went into chaos. And so I had this fear. I reverted back to feeling like a five-year-old. And that's also how we know we're triggered. When we revert back to an age that feels younger than we are. And the problem is when we revert back to those ages, We may not, I may not have acted like a five year old, except for the crying and clinging and neediness, but we problem solve then from that developmental perspective. So if we don't resolve our fears, we're going to problem solve at an earlier age that may have worked then, but it doesn't work for adults. That makes so much sense.
0: I love to hear that. I actually didn't hear that before here, surprisingly, that we do sometimes act like children. I mean, like very immature and insecure and that it doesn't really match the way we kind of operate most of our lives. And I see that sometimes with myself even, but now it's so much better. It has gotten so, so much better with the relationship with my husband. Does he ever go away, really, Nancy, those triggers?
2: And not, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I'm going to up say, not really. Yeah. You know, we have some pretty significant core wounds, things that have yeah. affected us in the past. We can learn to heal those wounds, but they are susceptible to being kind of scratched open again. The good news is, and how we can help minimize that is by um, kind of recognizing what is happening, and there are certain strategies that people can do. Part of the problem is that when a trauma occurs, whether it be a major trauma or like a smaller trauma, like hurts, our brain forms pathways. So it could form a pathway in a big way, like a truck just barreling through a meadow and forming its, leaving its ruts, Or it can form a pathway much slower, like little drips. So let's say you're in a meadow and you want to get to point A to point B. You walk that path. The first time you walk it, you're not even going to be able to see where your footprints are. But the more that you do it, the more the grass lays down, lies down. And that's like just a slow drip. And our brain, our neural pathways, our communication centers in our brain are much the same way. They form these pathways which trigger us to react in ways that, are familiar to us. The positive news is we can develop new pathways and the more that we develop new pathways and practice some of the strategies that I discuss, the the more those old wounds and those old ways of behaving begin to change.
0: That's really good news that we can actually rewrite the way we behave. Yeah, I love that idea and has been true in my case. But I still see the old patterns. They're still there. They don't go away, really. But I became much better at recognizing those patterns.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I just say what I often tell my clients is if you feel that reaction and it does feel like it's out of proportion or you're reacting in an immature way, way you know, it's, it follows a duct tape rule. If, you know, imagine that you have duct tape, you put it over your mouth, keep it there for 24 hours. (laughs) And if you still feel a need to react that intensely, then do it. If not, you know, either learn to let it go or approach it in a healthier way. What do you feel is the purpose of the human experience? Boy, you can ask some tough questions. As you had said earlier, I believe that we are all connected. And, you know, that part of our role is to recognize that we have a healthy or strive to have a healthy interdependence uh, with each other uh, and with our world and our living beings. You know, for me to try to say what I think the purpose is, to be honest, that is beyond me. Uh, What I know is what I feel like my role is, and that is to try to connect with those around me. Yeah, I love that.
0: I. Uh, this sounds very much like, um, yeah. If there is one purpose, one only, that'll be it. Uncovering, right? This truth that we are already connected. What is spirituality to you, and do you have any spiritual practices or belief systems?
2: Yes, you know I. Uh... Grew up as uh, a Roman Catholic. I converted to Judaism as an adult, and I read quite a bit about um, Buddhism. So, what my actual religious practice is um, is somewhat of a conglomerate. In terms of spiritual practice, I am a strong believer in kind of mindfulness meditation, um, doing um, what I uh, the kindness meditations. Um, to put out kindness into the world. And and to me, that's how I can practice spirituality. Is that possible to live without
0: entertaining any form of mental negativity? Can we stop those patterns, recognize them and manage to stop them pretty much all the time? Is that
2: Yeah, I I don't think it's possible. I think we can certainly learn how to control them and minimize them. Uh, You know, research has found that uh, when we worry, when we obsess, when we have negativity, our pleasure centers in our brain, our dopamine receptors are actually activated. Now it doesn't mean that it feels good to worry, but it, that's what makes it so hard to shift away from kind of that obsessive rumination, the worry, the stressful thinking. And our you know amygdala, our very primitive kind of anxiety brain is also designed to be aware of, what the smart brain, the frontal lobes and a worry about. So it takes a lot of effort and energy to practice moving away from negativity. Now, I can say after following um that in my practice for years, I have greatly reduced, you know, negative thoughts, greatly reduced um the kind of distress. You know, I've I've gone through two bouts of cancer um since I that de- since I developed this model. And it you know, when I first got cancer, my first response was, why me? And then all of a sudden, about 10 minutes later, it dawned on me, well, why not me? I'm not special. I'm not unique. Uh, there's, you know, millions of people get cancer all the time. And so it, it took away, not that I would want cancer again, um, you know, if it was a gift, I, I would return it. But yet, you know, in in you know following my practice and what's written in my book, I am able to reduce my fear and those distressing negative thoughts. And when they pop up now, I can recognize it right away and you nip it in the bud. <laughs> yes, I love
0: that. It sounds wonderful. This uh, to be open—the idea of being open to do the work, the healing work, as I call it. So thank you for uh, not just talking about healing, but. Being the message, you're not just delivering a message, you are the message. You are living the message. Thank you, Nancy. Let me ask you this one. This is a fun one from my perspective. What do you love most about being in the human body?
2: Oh, good question. I, I, my first instinct is to say chocolate, um, <laughs> yes. that I could taste chocolate. <laughs> um, I love that I can experience the world. I can experience nature, I can experience the feel of the sun, the wind, human touch, uh, connections, I can smile, I can see others smile. I love that it's a way of being able to interact and connect.
0: My last warm-up question is about true power. How do you define what true power is?
2: Power is when we recognize the impact that we have, and not to abuse it. So I think when we have when we have power, and we can settle ourselves, and we know where we're coming from, we know the masks that we wear is not to uh, use our knowledge about someone else against them.
0: That sounds like um, a form of control, manipulation. You know that uh, that doesn't sound good. That's interesting how you make me think about these things because I try try not to try, but it's the work we do to be somebody who is very transparent, very clear, and always kind, bring kindness to my environment, my family, and everyone that I am in touch with. But that's, like I mentioned off record, it's very subtle, yeah, the way we operate. And sometimes it seems like we have to always go deeper. And the deepest that I have... Gone, where the picture that I can see now, the big picture, is that everything is unconditional love. Life, what we call life, is unconditional love, which means everything is included. Even if we do things that are not right, not morally right, or whatever it is, it's still love. Being a human body is already fulfillment. It's a miracle. So you wrote the book, Fear Traps, Escape the Triggers That Keep You Stuck talk to me about how you became a writer and also the main inspiration and intention of writing your book, Nancy.
2: Let me begin with the main intention. Uh, I I developed this model, I'm starting at the end, but I developed this model uh, based on experiences of my own, and as I had mentioned earlier, my divorce, when I found myself kind of just stuck in this loop of fear. And I practiced this model, not only for myself, but again, working with my clients. And what I found was that most of my clients were getting stuck. They would go round and around in kind of these self-defeating patterns and really did not know how to break them. Um, After doing traditional therapy for about 20 years, I found that people could feel better, but it didn't seem to make a lasting change. And so my goal was, how do we help people make a lasting change? I was able to do it for myself um, after some traumatic events, and uh, I began working with my clients. And for me then, that made me want to spread the message that we can heal, that there are ways to heal, and that as long as we accept what our vulnerabilities are, and and we face those and we realize once we face them that we can handle them the world opens up now it opens up for us
0: so true i love this idea of being vulnerable which has to do with not trying to control everything right As our emotions and everything that's happening now
2: oh absolutely um absolutely um it's it's learning to recognize what we can control and what we can't control. And there's a lot we can't control. So, you know, yeah. giving it up.
0: <laughs> yes. I actually don't believe in any control, having any form of control.
2: I know. But we have the illusion that we do.
0: Yes, we do. Ah, oh, That might be the most, um, let's say, the most deceiving kind of illusions because it really feels real, like fear. It's so real that we have this impression, this conviction that we are in control. So speaking of the method, let's talk a bit about that. It's the courageous brain process. So it's a six-step plan to help people overcome the roots of fear. And then you have the six steps. Would you like to go through the six steps, Nancy, or yeah, mention just yeah. some of
2: them, perhaps? What I'll do is I can just go through them briefly. Yeah, um, yeah please. You know, it's because each step is... A portion of each step is somewhat customized to what it is that you're struggling with. And in the book, I cover the six most common fears. Um, But the first one is to tell your story. Um, When I have a client come in, I want them to tell their story. And sometimes they say, well, I really can't remember some of these details, but this is what I think it is. And and I'll tell them, don't, if that's what you think it is, that's your story. So just go with it. It's your truth. So I want to hear their truth. And then as they tell their stories, I look for threads that are common themes that connects their, you know, traumas or their hurts in their life. And then we begin to identify triggers. And again, triggers are identified anytime we're having kind of behaviors that aren't working for us and we find ourselves getting into, uh, you know, a pattern of self-sabotage. And then we work through that and then we get to the worst case scenario. And, you know, and people typically when they can look at what is the worst case scenario, can I allow myself to feel vulnerable to that? And it's surprising. Most people have a courageous brain. Um, there's courage in there. We are resilient human beings. They, they may not like the worst case scenario or want to experience that, but when they realize that they will survive and they can deal with it, well, I then go through kind of a series of, uh, like different mindfulness meditations with them and different practices to begin facing what their fear trap is. The, the other important thing to recognize is that we tend to believe what we think and feel. And our brain doesn't always tell us the truth, but we tend to believe it. And so it's learning to kind of challenge, is my perception of this, is my interpretation correct?
0: Oh, that's crucial questioning. Our own selves. Yeah. I love that practice. I call it self-inquiry. I do yeah. That that's a good. Lot.
2: That's a great word.
0: Yeah. Always asking questions. Why? Why? In a very loving way, kind yes. way. Yes. You have the six fears there, the most fearful things.
2: And then I notice that you don't have the fear of death. Yes. People are afraid of death. And part of facing the fear of death is the acceptance that this will happen and whatever your belief is if if there is isn't an afterlife or there is an afterlife you know it's it's the inevitable and how do we just accept it and I'm going to go back to again having cancer Um, you know and especially the second time around having to face my own mortality and I could sit here and worry how much time do I have left? Or I can engage with my world and enjoy it and feel as part of the one. But you're right. I did not address that in the book. And part of it is because it is much, it's, it's a complicated fear. And it's one we just can't necessarily work our way through like the other fears that I mentioned. So the idea
0: of acceptance, I love that. Yeah, this is really close to my heart. Uh, not just the intellectual understanding of acceptance, but going deeper than that. It's realizing that being here is a miracle already <laughs> to yes. be here. So even if we just took one breath and left, it was already fulfillment. It was already right. a gift. Right. So, wow. Yeah, that's for some reason my focus. I'm not sure why. Is fear the reason behind anxiety, depression? Nancy? It's always the case.
2: I look at fear as being the primary cause of our stress in life and our anxiety. Now there are certain cases where people have truly a physiological, biological kind of predisposition to depression and anxiety. However, what triggers it is often fear. Oh, the the trigger, right. Yes. Mm, Interesting. And why
0: did you become a clinical psychologist?
2: Question. One is because I love people. I have this insatiable curiosity about people. And when I found out I had a knack for it, I um, was able to combine my interests with a profession. You know, I've, and, and I actually have two doctorates. so my first one, I did research for about six to seven years, and I just found out I couldn't, this is not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I needed to have, for me, something that was more meaningful. And that's when I decided to go into clinical psychology.
0: Yeah. So it has to do with meaning, right?
2: Yes, it's meaning.
0: I hear a lot the idea of purpose, passion, purpose. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you call it purpose, too, that you have found
2: your purpose? Absolutely. It's purposeful to me. To me, for me to be able to see someone heal it, it, it's somewhat selfish because it truly is a gift to me. Um, I feel like I, I am humbled to be kind of in that presence when people are telling me their stories and I see them heal and grow. So I love
0: the mindful, you have focused meditation exercise throughout yes. the book. I love that. And I love how you have the uh, different time frames, too the three minute one, six minute, nine minute. That's a great idea. And another question I have for you is about uh, one that caught my attention. Among the fears that you mentioned in the book, it was the last one, the fear trap six. Are you afraid of the unknown?
2: So talk to me for a moment about that, because most of us are afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of what is not familiar And so people often limit themselves uh, because they're afraid to venture out of what's familiar in their comfort zone. And and particularly if you struggle with anxiety, people with anxiety want predictability, so they want to know what's going to happen. And if they have to approach something that's unfamiliar, that's a trigger to them because it's scary because it gets back to that issue of control. I don't know what I'm walking into, and I don't know if I will have control in this situation. So another thing that caught my attention was that you say,
0: somewhere there, you say, our culture reinforces the idea that material security will make us feel happier and more fulfilled when it truly does not. So... Talk to me for a moment about that statement, Well, I think
2: in our culture, uh, you know, particularly a a capitalistic society, which most of us grew up in, you know, the the idea is to keep gaining, um, gaining, you know, stuff, um, you know, money, wealth, um, objects, new clothes, you know, whatever it may be that, you know, and the problem is when we gain something that's like a material item, the satisfaction from that for the most part is just just a little, only lasts a little bit. And then the person's on the quest then to get more, you know, so they want that continual high of achieving. But that doesn't bring us happiness. Stuff does not bring us happiness. Now, we know that people need a certain level of income so that they don't, there's things that they don't have to worry about for their basic human needs. But beyond that, it's it really is just stuff. True, a billion times to that.
0: Yes, and from your perspective, what brings true happiness?
2: Again, I'm going to go back to the concept of uh, connection. You know, for me, what brings true happiness is when I feel connected to others. I think that brings us happiness. I think we can find happiness, you know, people who are parents, they may see their children happy and that can bring them happiness. But for the long lasting sense of well-being, it's that human connection.
0: Yes, which um, to me, there's a topic that I often write about and discuss here is self-love, unconditional self-love and that interdependency, which is trusting oneself, do you believe that it starts there to connect with others when need to first connect with oh, ourselves? Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I think we need to know ourselves, know the masks that we wear, and and not be afraid to allow ourselves to, I'm going to go back to this concept of being vulnerable, uh, because, you know, whether when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, particularly in relationships, what we end up rec- is that our strength actually comes from facing that fear of being vulnerable. Because if we can face our vulnerability, we can handle anything.
0: So true. There is so much power behind vulnerability. It's sad that most of us don't see that.
2: No, most
0: of us try to avoid it. Right. And how do we learn to um, pass the message, communicate this message with people around us, it has been a challenge for me to communicate the message of vulnerability.
2: It it is a tough one because in our culture, you know, vulnerability is thought of as something that uh, you want to avoid, we want to avoid. Uh, We often equate vulnerability with a weakness and so when people hear that word vulnerability, you know, it's hard for them to think about how can our strength actually come from facing our vulnerabilities. That doesn't, you know, that just sounds unpleasant and how could that be true? And you know, that's a mess that's a message that's hard to get people to accept. Once they accept it and they start living it, is when they start realizing, okay, this feeds my strength. One way that I often help clients try to recognize vulnerability is um, by becoming more humble. And and I don't mean, you you know, that they debase themselves or shame themselves, but becoming humble. And when they're humble, they can better than connect with other people because they can see other people with their strengths and their weaknesses and their imperfections just like themselves. And that helps them to begin to connect and not be as afraid of being vulnerable. Yeah, so it has to
0: do with trust. Um, yes, it really is.
2: It's oneself. leaning in, it's trusting. It's trusting.
0: I love this idea that we can practice that, experience that, that inner trust, and know that it's not just the body that's resilient, the mind. I mean, everything about us is so powerful, human beings. Yeah, it kind of it's, um, amazes me how, how resilient we are overall, yes. how amazing yeah. we are. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today?
2: How to temper my own fear traps. I mean, really, how and how? Let me take a step back. Let me, I like to think about this, but off the top of my head, what I would probably say is accepting responsibility for where I have failed others. That was probably one of the hardest lessons. And that really hit home to me, um, you know, after my divorce or during the divorce process. What was, Where's my responsibility in this? And again, not just for the divorce itself, but my responsibility, my place in the world. And, you know, I had been so self-focused during the process that, you know, I forgot about those around me.
0: I have heard something interesting before that you probably have too. It says, hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> it's yes, kind yes. of a funny statement, but it's true, isn't it? When we are hurt, it's easy to hurt others.
2: It is. And, you know, all that does is we end up in a, you know, round and round and just going down the rabbit hole. And and I, when we're afraid, our reaction is often to want to lash out, to hurt. Right.
0: Uh, which has to do with fear, yeah, pain, fear, uh, all connected. Uh, so true. So uh, let me see. I have too many questions here. I'll ask you this one. What is another word for healing? What comes to mind? Growing. Yeah. And my last question is, what are three things you wish everyone to experience or to have before they lose the body, before they die?
2: Oh, one is love. And it it doesn't necessarily mean romantic love, but love and connection. To me, that is one, the most important. And hopefully from that, they experience a sense of being an important and valuable person, an important and valuable part of this world. And then third, I would hope that they would be able to kind of spread that love
0: Experiencing what love is, connection is, and then sharing the yes. good news. And then sharing uh, it,
2: yes. Yeah, how
0: beautiful. Thank you so much, Nancy. Oh, you're welcome. For what you do, how you do it, and for being you, it's just beautiful. Thank you again. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: Okay. Uh, I have a website. It's nancystella.com, And uh, the book is available fear traps on Amazon and right now we're working with some other distributors so hopefully it will be at other sites. I am planning a webinar which will likely be about two hours that will happen most likely in the spring where I will work with a limited audience on the ideas
0: discussed in the book. Yeah, Wonderful I'll have the link of your website on your podcast profile too. Thank you. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Nancy.
2: Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Nancy Stella and her work, please visit nancystella.com.